The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. You know, most of us have had the experience of critiquing ourselves for something we did, faulting ourselves for something we said, disliking something about ourselves that makes us feel insecure or not good enough. Today, we're going to be hearing about the proven benefits of self-compassion in daily life. And we are very fortunate that our guest is one of the world's leading experts on self-compassion, Dr. Kristen Neff. Dr. Neff is an Associate Professor of Educational Psych at the University of Texas at Austin. She's a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, conducting the first empirical studies on self-compassion over a decade ago. She's the author of a wonderful book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Now, in addition, she's done numerous academic articles, book chapters. She's terrific on her TED Talks. And recently, in conjunction with her colleague, Dr. Germer, she's developed an empirically supported eight-week training program called Mindful Self-Compassion. We are delighted to have her with us, even though she's apologizing that she doesn't feel so well, so we may take some breaks for some um, hot water or hot tea. Dr. Kristen Neff, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Suzanne. That's great. Yes, and I do apologize to the listeners for my cold. Hopefully, it won't be too much of a problem. I've already invited Kristen to have self-compassion about having this cold on the show. Um, And just tell us when we need a break. So, Dr. Neff, what is self-compassion? I don't know that we've conceptualized it, many of us. Yeah, so, I mean, we're much more familiar with the feeling of compassion for others. So if you think what goes into compassion for others, let's say, you know, you're walking down the street and there's a homeless person, 
If you think about what needs to arise, uh, well, the first thing you need to do is to notice the person and notice that they're suffering. You know, and let's face it, often the reason we don't have compassion for others is because we don't want to take it in, it's uncomfortable. But to have compassion for another, you need to be, be able to notice that they're struggling. Um, and we need to have a kind response. If it's compassion, it means we notice someone's suffering and we have feelings of care. You know, are they getting the, the, the services they need? What's their story? And really, to make to, um, to make it compassion or not pity, there needs to be a sense of uh, you know they're but for fortune go I. This is another human being. I'm a human being. Whereas pity is kind of feeling superior to the other person or feeling sorry for them. Compassion recognizes that all people are vulnerable, all people suffer. And so the way I define self-compassion is really just the same. It's the idea that, you know, we need to be willing to notice when we're struggling, even if that that suffering comes from failure or getting it wrong. Um, Then we need to have a kind and understanding response as opposed to just beating ourselves up. Um, But really importantly, we need to remember that, hey, everyone's imperfect. All humans are imperfect. There's kind of this unconscious expectation that somehow we're supposed to get it right all the time and when we get it wrong, something has gone terribly you know, wrong or askew. Of course, that's not the case. Uh, imperfection is part of the human experience. So part of what self-compassion is is just opening to that truth and really helping uh, nurture and support ourselves just like we would a good friend. You know, Christian, so often... Around this time of the year, people say to me, I know I must be the only one who hates Christmas and the holidays. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, we want to invite that person often to think, well, no, you're not the only one. And yeah. Because we often, as you say, do so much self-judgment if we don't, um, you know, match up to the hallmark expectation. That's right. Yes. And we really suffer so much from this idea that we're supposed to get it right all the time. You know, especially you might say women, we're supposed to be beautiful and sexy and thin and fit and wonderful mothers and good friends and lawful CEOs at our company, right? I mean, there's just no one who can, who can get it right all the time. And um, so really self-compassion is just recognizing recognizing our human limitations, but more than that, really embracing the fact uh, that, you know, life is interesting partly because we fail and get it wrong and things are imperfect. That's how we learn. So it's really taking a a different stance toward ourselves than than our society promotes, which is to be these perfect people who get it right all the time. It's just not the case. So we might as well embrace it as opposed to fight it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm dying to know where those perfect people live. That's Um, right. You know, now, when you set up the steps, because if a person's going to try to do this, Mm -hmm. I think you list them in the book, which is, as I say, wonderful and very personal. Mm. Um, I was wondering, you speak about mindfulness, self-kindness, and human connection as three components. Yes. Now, does it make sense? we We have talked on many shows about mindfulness, and... Maybe we could define it again as purposely focusing on the present moment without judgment or yes. the present feeling without judgment. Yes. So is that something, because sometimes you feel bad about yourself. You just feel, but you've not really defined it. So I'm wondering before we even enter into the kindness and the comparison with other people, how uh-huh. can we hone in on the feeling? 
Yeah, so so mindfulness really is essential for self-compassion. And you might say um, self-compassion often grows spontaneously out of mindfulness and people are really being uh, open-hearted as well as open-minded. So the idea is, um, you know, we need to be able to turn toward our struggle and be okay with it. If we're, if we're fighting it or if we're resisting it or we don't want to, uh, you know, want to deny it or blame other people for our problems, um, we can't open our hearts to ourselves. So really we need to be able to turn toward our suffering, to acknowledge it, to validate it. You know, we're usually we're just lost in problem-solving mode or fix-it mode. We need to be able to say, hey, you know, gosh, I, I failed at that. That's really painful as opposed to just immediately beating yourself up because um, that happened. So really it's a matter of um, opening to the pain. And then the other stuff you might say is, is layered on, on top of it. Um, now, you know, mindfulness doesn't always involve self-compassion, right? If you're mindful of, I don't know, eating a raisin, self-compassion isn't involved. There's no suffering. But when you're right. mindful of suffering, then in order to be able to hold that, we need, we need the resources of kindness and connectedness to help us do that. So it's, they aren't exactly the same idea, but, but one's, mindfulness is really necessary for self-compassion. I'll tell you why also. If we use self-compassion as a way to just try to make our pain go away, I mean, some people do that, right? Oh, I'm going to be kind to myself because I don't want to feel bad about the fact that I failed. Well, that's not really good either because then we, we're, we're kind of judging and resisting the pain of that experience. We have to be open to the pain, and it's hard to do. It's one of the skills we learn with self-compassion. We need to be open to the pain. We need to be able to hold it in our awareness and then react with great kindness and, and feelings of connectedness as we hold it. I think somewhere you write, hey, the definition of pain can be thought of as resisting suffering. Yes. Um, and it was funny, in a, in a movie I saw Recently, at one point, one man who lost a child says to another man who's both enraged and in pain who also lost a child, he said, you know, you, you're going to have to let in the suffering if you're ever going to really embrace the memory of what was special about your daughter. Yeah. And it reminded yeah. me of what you wrote. Yes, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, when we resist our experience, first of all, we can't really learn from it. I mean, that's one of the things we do when we're able to accept the fact that stuff happens, right, is we can learn from it. And also, um, we need to be able to accept it before we can fully heal from it. Otherwise, if we just keep on resenting it, and I can't believe it happened, or that shouldn't have happened, or I shouldn't have done that, then no healing's available. So really, you might say that the first step of compassion especially self-compassion, is just being uh, willing to open to the pain. And it's hard. You know, of course it's hard. We don't want to. But the problem is um, it doesn't work. Resisting our pain doesn't work. If it did, I'd say go for it. <laughs> but it doesn't, sadly. It usually just makes things worse. It's the same. What we resist persists. Right. You know, so um, it just that's when we get stuck and ruminate on things and we, we get more agitated trying to make our experience perfect than we would be if we, you know, just kind of accepted the imperfection in the first place. We've also known that feelings won't persist if you open the door. Those that's little- right, yeah. So all, all feelings have a natural cycle. They arise and they pass away. Um, and so often the reason we get stuck in difficult feelings and ruminate on them is because we are resisting, we're trying to make them go away, and then we get trapped by them. So, um, you know, again, when we, we, when we can be mindful 
then the whole process can unfold more naturally. But personally, I think when, when that, whatever you're experiencing is very painful, we also need the resources of, you might say, love and connection to help us hold that pain. If we're just doing it from a kind of abstract cognitive way, it's not going to help or we're going to be overwhelmed and, you know, we might just be numb. Uh, so we, we really need the warmth as well as the mindfulness. There's one uh, example you give in the book, which is the personal example of your son in the, with your little guy in a playground. Yes. And maybe yeah. share that one because I love that example. Yeah. Well, so I often that, that's a really... Um, this is memory I have of when um, the idea of common humanity really, really helped me, and I could see how powerfully it can shift your experience. So, you know, as I said, everyone, everyone, of course, cognitively knows that no one is perfect or leads a perfect life, but often we get stuck. We illogically think, oh, it's just me. It's just me who's failed, or it's just me who's having these difficult experiences. And so I remember once um, being at the park with my son, Rowan, when he was about five, and he, he's autistic, and, you know, all, there was other um, parents there with their kids, and the kids seemed really happy, and they were playing and playing with their parents and playing with each other. And then I see my son, Ron, who's sitting on the type, top of a slide, just banging the slide, doing what's called stimming, not interacting with me, not interacting with anyone else. Um, and, you know, I'll admit it, I started to go down the path of self-pity. So self-pity is a feeling of, why me? You know, poor me, it's just me. And that really kind of self-focused feeling that it's just me and no one else is experiencing this. But luckily, because I had been practicing a lot of self-compassion, you know, I caught myself pretty early on and I said, you know, Kristen, wait a second. You're assuming that all these parents have and will continue to have perfect you know, happy, un- uncomplicated relationships with their children. Are you kidding? You know, yeah, maybe it's not autism, but it's probably, it may be something else, some other physical or mental challenge, or, or maybe they'll have just a lot of conflict in their relationship. And I realized that, in fact, all parents struggle with their children. The flavor of the struggle may be different, but this is something that connects all um, parents. As parents have challenges with their children, and we just do our best and we love them anyway. And the second I made that reframe from feeling it was just me to realizing this is just part of the experience of parenting, my flavor, but still just part of the common human experience, that I went from feeling totally isolated and cut off from those other parents to feeling really connected, and it was actually quite a, a beautiful experience. You know, and, that, and that's the power of remembering that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the human experience. You don't have to fight it or resistance resist it. And then when we open to it, we also have a lot to learn from it as well. I mean, this is a personal thing. I can say that my son's autism has just taught me so much and he's such a wonderful, unique guy and um, my ability to open to it, partly through my self-compassion practice, um, has meant that not only could I cope with it, I've really been able to embrace it and see all the wonderful gifts he has to offer this world. So it's, it's a powerful tool, this idea of common humanity. I also think in relation, now in this case we're talking about a, a special needs uh, little guy. Yeah. I think, and I think you mentioned one, as soon as you can harness and embrace self-compassion, in a way you open up the space for problem solving. So that if you, yeah. instead of being feeling feeling like, poor me, what is wrong with us, I'm yeah. embarrassed, or I want, as soon as you embrace it, 
and yeah. take into account the rest of the world's not out of a fairy tale, yeah. it, it might give you room to think, you know what, I'm going to try the other playground where the, the slide, there are many slides. <laughs> He loves so Yeah. Let's do that. You see, you sort of become much more empowered, I think. Yes, that's right. So that's, that's also kind of a basic principle that we've discovered in psychology, and that also comes largely from the mindfulness and acceptance work. When you're resisting something, you're, you're locked in it, and you're lost in it, and often like you're trapped in the thoughts, I am terrible, this is terrible. And, and we, we can't take perspective on our situation. But one of the things we do is, first of all, when we open to our experience and we kind of say, oh, wow, I see, you're really upset right now. That that very act of stepping outside of yourself to be mindful of the fact that, oh, I'm really struggling gives you a bit of space. And then you add to that um, the feelings of warmth and support and positive emotions that come from compassion. I mean, compassion is a positive emotion. It's love and connection. What we know is a basic psychological principle is that positive emotions promote psychological flexibility. When we feel safe, when we feel good, we're more able to consider possibilities, whereas when we just feel terrible, we're, you know, we just get very narrow and locked in. So that's another reason why you might say self-compassion is so beneficial because it generates this positive emotion along with the space and perspective taking um, offered by mindfulness. Yeah, I think in your book at one point you you referenced Barbara Fredrickson with the idea yeah. of just what you're saying. Yes, yeah. Positive feelings become, broaden and expand the situation. That's right, yeah. So negative emotions tend to narrow our focus Positive emotions tend to expand it. And so if you think about what's happening with, what's happening with self-compassion, we're actually embracing our pain, the negative emotion, with this positive emotion of compassion, of care, of connectedness. And that actually helps us transform our experience so that we're no longer locked and fixed in the negativity. We can actually, you know, it, it seems odd, but I can tell you from personal experience, especially, you know, so my life's so easy now, but it was really hard when Rome was very uh, lost in his autism. You can take an experience which at first just seems terrible, you know, I can't believe it's so overwhelming, it's horrible. And you can actually learn to rest your awareness in the compassion holding the pain. So yes, you're acknowledging that it's painful, that it's overwhelming, it's so difficult, but you aren't just the pain, you're also the compassion holding the pain, that feeling of, Oh gosh, this is so hard. I'm here for you, you know, and and um, that kind of feeling of connectedness. And yeah, life can be so difficult. And you know, how can I help? And those positive feelings and warmth and support can actually become more predominant in your experience, which also gives you a lot more perspective. You know, we're going to take a break, but what, at one point in the book, you say, "Open your heart to yourself, self-compassion," yes. and I think that's just what what you're sort of hinting at. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we are speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff. She's widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on self-compassion. She's the author of the book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What's your coffee story? 
the one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're considering adoption, there are a lot of questions that you may have which need to be answered by families that have adopted, by the adoptees themselves, and by professionals. Tune in to Adoption Unscripted with your host, Micah Johnson. We bring you many of the answers you're looking for. There are so many resources and advocates in the field of adoption. It's a life-changing experience across the board. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Kristen Neff, one of the world's leading experts on self-compassion, and we're talking about the power of self-compassion and really understanding it as a concept. So, Dr. Neff, if you're a parent, you usually want your children to have self-esteem. You hear that, you talk about it, you read about it. People don't talk as much about self-compassion. And I wondered if you could distinguish them for us. Yes, right. So, um, so self-esteem, is, it's been around for a long time, this idea, and basically it means um, judging yourself positively rather than negatively, right? Thinking you're a good, worthy person as opposed to a bad, unworthy person. Um, and of course, parents want their children to have high self-esteem because we know that people with low self-esteem who hate themselves, basically, have all sorts of mental health issues. Um, the problem, however, is that the idea of self-esteem isn't very um, uh, complex. Often, people th- think about whether or not you have health, high, have high self-esteem, but actually, the more important question is how do you get it. So basically, there are healthy versus unhealthy ways to get high self-esteem. And actually, a lot of the ways kids get their high self-esteem are unhealthy. Just to take an example, on bullying, right? We know the reason kids start to bully, usually around early adolescence, is because they're trying to form their sense of self and they want to have high self-esteem. And the way they get that is by feeling you know, better, superior than that, that nerdy kid they pick on. 
So that's a really unhealthy way to get high self-esteem. And of course, that 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 um, continues even into adulthood. Think of the people who are prejudiced, right? A lot of prejudice is driven by the need for high self-esteem. I want to feel that my racial, religious, you know, gender group is better than yours. So that's a problem. Um, another problem with self-esteem is that at least in American society, we only get self-esteem when we feel special and above average. You know, it's not okay in our society to be average. So what that means is if everyone has to feel special and above average to feel good about themselves, well, it's logically impossible. So people tend to kind of inflate their own sense of self-worth to see themselves as maybe better than they actually are and then to put other people down so they feel better in comparison. That's not very healthy, right? Um, Another big problem with self-esteem is that it tends to be contingent. In other words, we feel good about ourselves when we succeed, when we when we look as good as we want to look, when we're as successful as our job or sports as we want to be, um, and when other people like us. But what happens when those aren't in place, when we fail, when we fall flat on our face or we're rejected, then our self-esteem deserts us, you know, precisely when we need it most. So you what know, I've tried to argue is that self-compassion um, is a much healthier, healthier alternative to self-esteem. So self-compassion also involves feeling good about yourself, but not because you judge yourself as good, simply because you're a flawed human being worthy of kindness like all other flawed human beings, right? So you don't have to be perfect or succeed to have self-compassion. You just have to be a human being, you know, which most of us can check that box, right? <laughs> so um, what we find, if you compare Self-esteem versus self-compassion and, you know, how they predict well-being. Well, they both, they both predict well-being. If you have high self-esteem or high self-compassion, you're going to be less depressed, less depressed, less anxious, um, happier, have more life satisfaction. The big difference is, uh, for instance, self-compassion isn't linked to narcissism the way self-esteem is. Uh, you don't have to be better than others to have self-compassion. Um, it's, not, it's not as contingent. In other words, um, people have compassion when they succeed and when they fail, especially when they fail. So the sense of self-worth linked to self-compassion is much more stable over time compared to self-esteem. Um, and then also it has better um, impacts in relationships. So you know, oftentimes people, to save their self-esteem in relationships, they often act maybe not uh, as good as they should and blame their partner for all their problems where self-compassion actually allows you um, to acknowledge your mistakes, apologize for them because your self-esteem isn't invested in being perfect, and that's actually good for relationships. So, again, you might say the two are overlapping. You know, people with high levels of self-compassion also have high self-esteem, but the source of the self-esteem is different. It's based on one's humanity as opposed to being special and above average. The, you can see how the self-esteem be, can become a static criteria uh, in this country, let's say, kids needing to believe if they don't make it into an Ivy League college, they're not okay. Yes, and that's right. And the anxiety that yeah. goes with that, as opposed to, you know, you're saying the compassion is like it travels with you. It is like having a companion. It is. It's like being your own good friend, having a friend on your shoulder supporting you, caring about you, catching you when you fall, as opposed to, you know, most of us, we just tear ourselves to shreds when we fail or fall. Um, So it's a much healthier way to be, really. It reminds me of one of your exercises 
where things don't go so well, I think you correct me, it's, it's, you write a letter to yourself as if you were a compassionate friend. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it, and the reason we do that is because um, most people have very little experience being compassionate to themselves. They don't really you know, even know what to say, right? They're so used to being self-critical. You ask them to speak kindly to themselves, and they're just they're stumped. And so the way you can access self-compassion is to think about, well, what if you had a dear friend was in this exact same situation. And then we're much more experienced with knowing what to say, you know, kind of the warm tone to use, the body language, that you know, what to say to make the other person feel supported and cared for. So when you imagine yourself as your own friend, then it's much easier to access this, this self-compassion. So it's just a doorway in to the same state of being, really. Now, I think part of the power all these years of your work and self-compassion is the research. Maybe you can share some of the research findings that really address the misconceptions about self-compassion. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's true. The research has been crucial because, um, in fact, in our society, self-compassion is not a valued trait. You know, kids aren't taught to be self-compassionate. A lot of people are deeply suspicious of self-compassion. And that's because I think they do have a lot of misconceptions about it. They think uh, it's going to undermine their motivation. Well, if I'm kind to myself, I won't drive myself on to achieve. Um, They think it's they think it's selfish, that it, you know, it's self-focused, it's going to harm their relationships. They think it's self-indulgent, that it just means, you know, be nice to yourself and not not really um, getting anything achieved. And so the research really, oh, also, the, I think actually a really big one, and I have to say this is especially for men, um, people think it's weak. Self-compassion is weak, and to be strong and tough, you know, I've got to be hard as nails. Well, the research disproves all of these misconceptions. Uh, let's take the one about weakness. Um, what we're finding in the research that self-compassion is actually probably one of the most powerful sources of strength, coping, and resilience that we have available to us. Right. So, so for instance, there was a study done of veterans coming back from um, Iraq or Afghanistan, and they found that those veterans with higher levels of self-compassion, were much less likely to develop um, PTSD nine months later than those veterans who beat themselves up all the time. You know, and what was interesting is self-compassion was a bigger um, determinant of whether or not they developed PTSD than how much combat exposure they faced. Wow. Right? So, so basically, if you think about what that means, is it's not just what happens to you. It's how do you relate to yourself when the you-know-what hits the fan. Okay, so soldiers who had who were an inner ally, who were kind to themselves, who were supportive, who were warm, even when things were really difficult, were more likely to get by. And those soldiers who were an inner enemy, who cut themselves down, who blamed themselves, you know, who were really hard on themselves, they were actually more likely to develop PTSD. So, uh, and that, that, that similar findings are with a lot of different populations: people coping with divorce, people coping with cancer, people coping with. Um, a uh, special needs child, you name it. If you're coping with a difficulty, being a friend to yourself is, of course, going to help you be strong and resilient as opposed to cutting yourself down and being an inner enemy. Um, and it's so funny. It's so It makes so much sense if you think about it. But nonetheless, people have this real strong idea that self-compassion is a weakness and it's how they keep them from being kind to themselves. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, the research is phenomenal. I love what you just um, shared with the veterans. In relation to that, one of the research that that I came upon was the one, um, Dr. Neff, that talked about compassion when you are recognizing that you've just had a recent transgression or you've done something wrong. Yes, yes, right, yeah. So again, a, a lot of people are afraid that self-compassion means letting yourself off the hook, right? Oh, I robbed a bank. Well, it's only human. <laughs> but it's actually, the research shows just the opposite. So what happens when we have self-compassion is because it's safe to admit that we've done something wrong and that we're imperfect and we failed, we are actually more likely to take responsibility for our mistakes and also more likely to try to repair those mistakes. So, for instance, they, they did a study, I think it was um, the researchers out of Berkeley, um, Juliana Briannis and her, her colleagues, they found that um, when they help people be more self-compassionate about, you know, something they'd done, as some, as something they, some transgression against someone else, they either helped them be self-compassionate, they had them think about it with mindfulness, kindness, and common humanity, or they kind of just boosted their self-esteem. Oh, well, you're a good person, you know, don't worry about it. What they found is helping people to be more self-compassionate about their transgressions really did allow them the the sense of safety needed to own up to it. Wow, I did that. I'm so sorry. What can I do to repair the situation? So it's not a matter of letting yourself off the hook. It actually gives you the strength needed to, um, to make things better. Well, if we think about how powerful this really is, if I have the means to look at what I did and own it but be compassionate and apologize, mm-hmm. chances of me doing it again have to drop. Right, right. Because, well, yeah, because you see yourself clearly. So if you're just invested in main, maintaining your self-esteem and you're all ego defensive, you aren't going to own up to what you've done. It's too painful. You know, of course not. I wouldn't. <laughs> but if it's okay to admit, wow, I really blew it. I, You know, I, I really messed up. I, I'm a human being and I made a huge mistake, then we can see where we went wrong and then learn from our mistakes, right? And as, by the way, I have to say, there's a similar um, phenomenon. Actually, what we know from the research is the number one reason people aren't more self-compassionate is they think it will undermine their motivation. People really think they need to crack the whip with themselves to drive themselves on to achieve their goals. Um, and it's kind of similar to how we used to motivate our children, Right? The, the saying, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. We used to think that you needed harsh corporal punishment to motivate children to keep them in line. And luckily we've dropped that with our parenting philosophy, but we haven't dropped that with ourselves. So what, what we know from the research is, again, that's absolutely dead wrong. People who are kind, supportive to themselves, warm with themselves, encouraging, like that good encouraging coach you had in high school as opposed to the one that told you how crap you were, (laughs) they're much more likely to motivate success Um, for for a number of reasons. One, uh, you're less afraid of failure if you have self-compassion. And we know that fear of failure is actually uh, very likely to undermine your motivation. Why try if it's going to be too you know, dangerous to try if you might fail? So if you have self-compassion, you can take the risk, the learning risk. Um, you're less anxious about your performance because you know it's safe to fail, which means you don't undermine your performance because of all this anxiety. And then when you do fail, what the research shows, you're more likely to pick yourself up, to try again, and to keep trying to maintain your goals. 
So, again, it's, you know, being a good, supportive, um, kind coach might give you constructive criticism. It doesn't mean you don't point out your flaws with self-compassion. You do, but you do it in a constructive, helpful way as kind of a, as opposed to a destructive, shaming way. And that, it, that's why it's so, so powerful for motivation. It really fits into growth mentality and the idea that, well, what lesson can I take from this mistake? That's and right. That's, that is likely to happen um, if you're beating yourself up. There's okay. there's no room for anything. I also can imagine, and I wondered if any research was done with couples in terms of acknowledging with compassion to yourself, I, I really did blow this. This this was on my side because it would prevent the, mm-hmm. the projection of blame and make really growth happen in the relationship. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's not a lot of research with couples, but actually I conducted one study with, with 100 couples, and we looked at um, each person's level of self-compassion, and then we had each partner rate the other in terms of, you know, what's your, beha- what's your partner's behavior like in the relationship? Are they caring? Are they intimate? Are they warm? Are they controlling? Do they get angry all the time? And, and what we found is that people um, with more self-compassionate partners describe them as being much more caring, um, much warmer and more supportive, much less controlling. They got less angry. Um, and they were actually happier with self-compassionate partners than with, with partners who are unself-compassionate. So what's going on is kind of what you said. First of all, if you're compassionate, you don't need to um, have all your needs fulfilled by your partner. And if you get it wrong, it's safe to admit that you've gotten wrong. We know that um, it allows you to compromise more in conflict situations. You know, you don't try to get your own way, but you don't um, totally subordinate either. You can kind of come to healthy compromise. But I think really, most importantly, it gives you the emotional resources needed to give. You know, it actually gives, by, by being a good friend to yourself, you have actually more to give to your partner. I think that's part of the reason why um, people have happier relationships, the more self-compassionate they are. I, I think, I know you referenced Sharon Salzberg in your work. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of loving kindness and, and the power of, uh, of her um, writing, you really, really, how compassionate can you be to others if you are not compassionate to yourself? Yeah. Well, so it's kind of interesting, the link between compassion for others and oneself. So if you just measure it, you know, measure how, how kind of compassion are to yourself, how, how kind of compassion are you to others, you know, using validated measures. The link actually isn't very strong because, it's always because most people are much more compassionate to others than to themselves. In fact, um, many people, you may even know some people like this, are incredibly kind and caring and compassionate to others, and they're really hard on themselves. So in other words, the way people treat themselves and others can be quite quite different. What we know, however, so I, think, I, I don't think it's true to say you have to have self-compassion before you can have compassion for others. There's many people who do, but you can't sustain compassion for others without having compassion for yourself. So in other words, caregivers who just give to others and not to themselves, they will burn out. They will get frustrated. They won't be able to stay in, in the role of caregiver in a, in, a, in a way that's healthy because they just deplete themselves. So, um, you know, the, the most healthy way to be is to give 
be compassionate to yourself and others, and that's what helps you kind of, you know, love others without losing yourself. Um, it's really what it does. And and the we know about self care in terms of avoiding burnout. We're going to take a break. What you're what you're sharing with us is so valuable. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff. She's a widely recognized um, researcher and psychologist in the area of self compassion, and she's the author of Self Compassion: The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff. Her book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Dr. Neff, I, I know our listeners may be thinking, what, what's the first step I take to use self-compassion? Is there any technique that I should start practicing or using? How do we help our listeners actually move into 
implementing this? Yeah, so uh, I would say perhaps, you know, the first step is actually for people just to check out, well, how self-compassionate are they? So they can either, um, on my website, they can actually take a self-compassion test to get a score. Um, But a really easy way to figure it out is just to ask yourself, well, how do I treat my good friends when they're struggling or suffering? What types of things do I say? How do I respond to them? And then ask, how do, how do I respond to myself when I'm suffering? And a lot of people are kind of shocked to discover how unkind they are to themselves. So I think the first step is just to kind of to assess the degree to which you are self-compassionate or not. Um, And then, luckily, it's not very hard to learn self-compassion. It's not rocket science, which is great, because (laughs) all it really needs is um, you need to, first of all, give yourself permission to treat yourself with compassion uh, and use the skills you've already um, built up being compassionate to others and apply them to yourself. So, for instance, one very easy technique doesn't even involve thought, um, as mammals, we, we, we've evolved certain triggers that signal someone as, as compassion for us, and that's basically um, touch and gentle vocalization. So we know when someone touches us, if they're touching us in a compassionate, caring way or in a cold way. And we also know through the tone of someone's voice, is it a caring, tender tone, or is it a harsh tone? So those are two very easy ways you can be more self-compassionate. You can touch yourself with maybe put your hand on your heart or your stomach or your cheek. Some gesture that you might use with someone who is suffering, you know, you might hold their hand, something like that. If you do that with yourself, your body responds the same way. It feels cared for, it feels safe, it feels connected, and that's a really easy way to access self-compassion. And then, again, to speaking to yourself, saying the types of things you would say to a friend, but especially in this kind of warm, tender tone. And when you use that as your internal voice, it really has um, a powerful effect. And and then there are other things you can do. Like on my website, I've got something called the self-compassion break, which is basically just a series of phrases which help you remember to be mindful, to turn toward the pain, to um, be kind to yourself because it's so difficult, and then to remember that the common humanity, this is part of life. So um, it's, 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 I've, I've been surprised in my years of researching and teaching self-compassion. It's not as hard as you might think to develop this skill. So one of the things I might say to myself would be what? Oh, so, um, you know, so let's say, let's say you just really blew it on a work assignment. And, you know, so if, if you're in a self-critical mood, mood, you might say, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did that. And you, you might think, well, what if you're, you know, what if your child or your best friend blew it on a work assignment? Would you say, oh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. No, you'd probably say, hey, you know what happened? You're under a lot of stress. Um, you know, I love you anyway. Uh, listen, maybe we can see what, what went wrong so we can try to fix it the next time. But, you know, it's okay. The bottom line is you're still a lovable, worthy person. Right? You would say that to a friend. You could actually say that to yourself, right? And especially, especially if it's combined with the warm tone of voice, internal dialogue, and um, a, a gesture that lets your body feel that you care. Just really don't underestimate the power of physical touch as a conveyor of compassion because, again, this is um, part of our inbuilt physiology, our ability to respond to compassionate touch by feeling safe and soothed and comforted. 
So that, that's a real, even if your mind can't go there, you know, you can, put, you can still put your hand on your heart and it helps. I love that suggestion because I was just thinking how many of us have been in situations where it's a difficult situation for us and a spouse or a friend puts their hand or grabs our hand yeah. or uh, touches our shoulder and you know all of a sudden that means something to you. That's right. Uh, it means you aren't alone. Yeah. And it means that you that someone cares about you. Well, we can actually convey that to ourselves. You know, and, and it's, it's kind of paradoxical because when, when I, you can say to yourself something like, I've got your back. And it's weird because it's yourself talking to yourself, but given that we often don't have our own backs, we're often our own worst enemy, you can feel very safe and secure to know that we're going to try to help ourselves and support ourselves as opposed to cutting ourselves down. So we kind of can develop a self-healthy self relationship. I mean, normally our relationship with ourselves is not very healthy. Well, and it's so interesting because think of how often we say terrible things to ourselves. You're an idiot. Why didn't you know this? You knew it was the wrong train. So if we could do the negative, I love your idea of if you need the reminder to put your hand on your heart to turn on the positive. Because much as negative drives us down and makes us anxious, you've seen the research suggesting the positive has a quite a powerful effect. That's right. And, and the nice thing is it's not positive in like a sugar-coating way. You know, if you blew it at work, you aren't going to say, oh, don't worry, it was fine. It wasn't fine. You did blow it. <laughs> you know, so right. you can acknowledge the pain of that and the, and the imperfection of it. You can hold that while also saying it doesn't, maybe you blew it, but it's not, it doesn't mean that you're a horrible person or that you're bad. It's just, yeah, that behavior didn't work out very well. How can I change it next time as opposed to really taking it so personally, which is what we normally do. And I can't tell you how many people come, let's say, suffering from high-level anxiety, also blaming themselves for suffering with high-level yeah. anxiety. That's and right. just to be able to embrace it is to already start that anxiety becoming more diminished. That's right, it's just, exactly. It's, yeah. it's just yeah. terrific. Now, Kristen, before we go any farther, I want folks to know how to get your book. Your site is wonderful. How do they get there? And then maybe you'll tell us a little bit about this Mindful Self-Compassion 8-week course. Yes, yes. Well, I'm very easy to find. If you Google self-compassion, the word, spell it any way, you'll find me. So luckily, I've got a kind of corner on the market. So my site will come up, which is selfcompassion.org. But again, just just Google self-compassion, and it will be the first um, hit that comes up. So you can go to my website, and I've I've really um, put a lot of effort into making it a free resource. So there are guided meditations on there, free um, exercises, um, MP3s of various um, practices I teach. Um, More than that, if you're a research nerd, (laughs) I have PDFs of hundreds and hundreds of articles on the website organized by category if you want to find out what the research says. Uh, And you can also take um, the self-compassion test to find out your level of self-compassion. So it's a really nice place to start. I also have links to my TED Talk and various explanatory videos. Um, So that's probably the best place to start. And then if you're really interested, uh, you can link to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. I've got a link on my website. But basically, as you said, I've developed an an eight-week training program with my colleague, Chris Germer, that's taught all over the world. 
so you can find out if there's a course being taught in your area. Um, if not, we also we also have online courses that you can take. So if you're interested in learning how to be more self-compassionate, there's a lot of um, ways you can do that. Okay. Now, if if we wanted to give our listeners a take-home message, you're quite an expert in this. What what could it be? Yes, I I would say maybe. Um, the biggest message is that self-compassion uh, will, uh, you, you need to give yourself permission to be kind to yourself, and it will radically change your life. All the fears we have about it, that it's self-pity, self-indulgent, it's weak, research has shown is untrue. So just, just try it out. Try it out. Try being kinder to yourself. Try treating yourself like a good friend, and just Start seeing how it helps um, you deal with the difficulties of life. In other words, you don't have to believe me. <laughs> Try it out for yourself and see. Um, but most people report to me that uh, it radically changes their life for the better. Mm. Thank you so much. I want to thank you, Dr. Neff, for the gift of illuminating and defining self-compassion and your ongoing discussions of it and your continued research. I think it's a gift to all of us. Thank you so much for joining us today on Psych Up Live. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I want to thank my listeners and remind you that you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast. Tonight, this show by this evening 7 o'clock Eastern Time. This will be a podcast on the on your app for your iPhone, iTunes, Sketcha, the Voice America site, my host site. So you can be walking with your Apple phone or your phone and listening to Dr. Neff. Remember to drive me to drop me a, com- a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly for next week, please take care. Hug yourself with kindness and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 